Good evening. My name is Bryce, and I'm going to read this second uh, passage tonight. Uh, we're going to be reading or working through James chapter 5 this evening. And if you would like to find it in your pew Bibles with me, it's found on page 1269, or you can read it on the big screen uh, in front of you. James chapter 5, verse 1. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their, ero- their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who are not opposing you. This is the word of the Lord. Tabloids often inform us about the lives of the rich and the famous. The royals, the actors, the celebrities, and the businessmen, and the richest people in town. Now they're photographed across the internet, living in their luxury homes, in the jets, in the cars, their luxurious accessories and clothing. Some have earned it working hard up the company ladder. Others have invested in family businesses. And others have amassed wealth by cheating and underpaying their workers, such as what we've heard recently in the restaurant industry. What do we think about the rich? Does it matter if the rich lives it up? Is it important how they amass wealth? Would we hope one day that we can also be rich? As Christians, what does the Bible say about the rich and their attitude to wealth? Today, our passage addresses this important topic, wealth, the people who have wealth, our attitudes to wealth and how God sees it. So let us pray to our Lord before we look at this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this evening, we pray, we pray that your word will become a beacon in our lives, that it changes the way we think and live. We pray that we be wise, that we be godly and Christ-centered in all aspects of our lives, including our wealth. Amen. Feel free to um, keep the Bible passage open, but I've got it also on the screen, but in very small text. 
Today's passage addresses a certain group of people, the rich. The author quickly warns them what will happen. Look at verse 1. Now, rich people, you will be weeping and wailing because of the misery that is coming upon you. It's ironic, isn't it? Not quite what we see on the internet. I thought they were rich. I thought they were all set. I thought they would be like those who are on the tabloids. But what James says is coming is completely different, we see here. They will be miserable, they will be terrible. So overwhelming here, it says, that the rich will not just be uneasy, they might not just be frightened, they might not just be sad, they'll be weeping, they'll be wailing. In other words, they will crash, they will lament, their tears will not just be mere drops down their eyes, they will be filling buckets. The word wail has been used by Isaiah to describe the response of those who witness the destruction on the day of the Lord. Isaiah 13:6, wail for the day of the Lord is near, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. In James here, the rich are weeping, the rich are wailing. They will be frantic in extreme grief. Now, what will happen to them? Let's read on. We're told in verse 2, their wealth has rotted, their clothes will be eaten into by moss. In other words, their wealth and clothes will eventually be destroyed. These things which were once valuable will no longer hold value. They would have methods to predict, they would have had methods to protect their wealth, to protect their assets like insurances or income protection or trust accounts. But this was to no avail. The things they possessed and have valued most have not run the distance for them. They've lost their value. And indeed, the Bible is here, clearly says they will be destroyed. Verse 3 then goes on to tell us, their gold and their silver will be corroded. Both of these metals would have been the richest, most precious possessions. Silver is a rare metal. It's valued for its shine, it's valued for its malleability, and so hence it's used in jewellery, ornaments, cutlery. Yet when silver corrodes or tarnishes, it becomes black, it loses its value. My mother has a collection of silver items in Hong Kong in a cabinet held, and these silver items are mainly for guests when they come. But because of the humid climate, the silver tarnishes, turns black. And so, before they, they come, she has to shine the silver. Imagine if she didn't do that. The silver forks, the knives, the cups, the photo frames, these will all be black. They will not be attractive to use. They would lose their value. James here is saying, their silver, which once had been valuable, 
has lost its value. What about their gold? Gold, as we all know, has the unique property that it will not oxidize or corrode. Pure gold should forever have the same weight, and for this reason it's used as a currency. Yet in this passage, even their gold will corrode. The precious metal, which should not corrode, has corroded. God warns, even the things which are meant to last forever will come to an end here. They too will lose their value. You'll be as if it's, think about your most precious possession. Is it the iPhone or the new handbag that we have? The car, the holiday home? our house, our research. It's like these things will be just destroyed. You feel the weight, you feel the seriousness of God's judgment here in these verses. But it doesn't just stop there. The passage then goes on to warn them, just as their wealth rots, just as their clothes are eaten, their gold and silver corrode, their lives will also be destroyed. Look at verse 3. These will testify that your flesh will be eaten like fire. In other words, these things will lose value, but so will your own body. Before you know it, it's not just your possessions. You yourself will die. And it will not be pretty, because your flesh have been eaten like fire. God lays it down very clearly, doesn't He? It's very powerful imagery here. Extremely strong words. But you might be asking, so what have they done? Why have they deserved such judgment? Is James telling us that all wealthy people should weep and should wail? Or is there something else that they have actually done? James tells us these are people who are punished, not because they're rich, they're punished because of the awful things that they have done with their wealth and their attitude towards their wealth. So let's have a look at this. Look at their attitude towards their wealth. Verse 3, these rich people set out to hoard wealth. Wealth was their priority. It was their security. Their lives and time are focused on accumulating and guarding this wealth. In medicine, hoarding is a psychiatric disorder. These people have a compulsion to accumulate possessions and have persistent difficulty with parting with these possessions. These items are actually not particularly valuable as you can see here on the slide of people's homes. In fact, on one of the slides, the person has actually passed away within the items that they've actually hoarded. They consist of plastic bags, newspaper items, yet the hoarders perceive them as extremely valuable. These things are their security. They wouldn't want to part with them. The hallmark of this disorder is actually the enormous distress experienced even at the thought 
of getting rid of one or two of these items. And as a result, as you can see, their possessions pile up in their homes, high up, blocking rooms, hallways, and these people actually have to forge a little pathway around the house. They cannot walk around the house. And visitors cannot visit. Soon, as you can see, their lives become strangled. You see, in, in James here, the rich are described as hoarding wealth. Their lives have become strangled by their wealth. It's a good analogy, isn't it? Just like the plastic bags and the old newspaper items here, in God's eyes, worldly wealth is not particularly valuable. And God knows that these things can easily strangle our lives. And here God highlights the foolishness of the rich by placing this emphasis on their wealth, by trying to guard it, by trying to hoard it. The foolishness of placing such emphasis on something which is so transient and as a result lose their lives for it. Apart from their attitude, James tells us the means by which they have acquired their wealth. And this is quite problematic. Verse 4, by failing to pay their workmen, hence cheating them of their rightful wages. They were not just financially prudent trying to cut labour costs. These people were condemned because they have asked workmen to mow the fields but do not pay them. Now, people usually cheat in secret and against those at the bottom of the company ladder, those who've got little bargaining power. God is saying here, this is your folly because I know your ways. I know you're cheating because I can hear the hurt workers cry out to me. Verse 4, you're a fool if you really think you can cheat and I don't know because I've heard it. And as we have seen, they've certainly not got away with it from God. What else have they done with their wealth? Let's look at verse 5. With this wealth, they lived in luxury and in self-indulgence. They lived for themselves and their own pleasures. In fact, they cared very little about those who were around them. Not the people who work for them, not the people who work with them. They would indulge, verse 5, in the finest foods in large quantities. And as a result, they would become fat. In the Message Bible, the translation there puts it nicely. You have looted the earth. You have lived it up. But all you will have to show now is a fatter than usual corpse. And that's the irony. That's the folly. For what is the good of that? What is the good of stuffing yourself to the fullest, becoming fat, all in all, just to die fat? What else have they done? These people didn't really stop there. Verse 6, they have condemned and they have murdered innocent people. 
those who were not particularly opposing them, presumably to reach accumul to accumulate more wealth and fulfill their selfish desires. They were out of control. Get out of my way, or I'll kill, or I'll condemn. They stop at nothing as they thirst for more wealth. It's very intense words, isn't it? These, verse, these six verses. So what can we, sitting here in Surrey Hills today, learn from this passage? How does it apply to us? You may consider yourself not that rich, or self-indulgent for that matter. You may not even have workmen who mow your fields, not the least not to pay them or condemn them or to kill them. So if this is the case, how does this passage actually relate to us? I think it does actually relate to us in a number of ways. Living in Australia, our country is actually relatively wealthy in the greater scheme of things, isn't it? So we can easily fall into the trap of being rich oppressors. It also relates to us because it gives insight how God sees wealth, his warnings about wealth, and what he expects is our attitude towards wealth. The first thing that we can see here is the love of wealth can be addictive and destructive. God uses this passage to warn us how dangerous it is to love, to greed, to hoard wealth and wealth alone. This applies not to only to those who are rich oppressors, but to us today. You see, the problem is not having the, just wealth, it's actually loving the wealth. Indeed, there are many God-loving characters who are rich in the Bible. We think of David the king, we think of Job, Abraham, Joseph of Arimathea, the rich man who actually buried Jesus. They recognized that riches were from God. It is clear that God is opposed to those who greed for wealth. And what happens to them when we become greedy for money? Here, you see very clearly, we will be destroyed, just as gold and silver corrodes, so may the love of it destroy the lives of those who hoard it. You see, greed for money makes us go into a destructive cycle. You see it in this passage. The pursuit for more makes us forget those around us, those who work alongside us. The pleasures obtained from wealth makes us focus more on ourselves, self-indulge, such that it compels us to put down and condemn those who are even around us. It's a vicious cycle of selfishness, one which is at the expense of others. And soon before it knows it, we know it, it becomes a destructive addiction. Ice, or crystal meth methamphetamine, is a drug which more and more Australians are struggling with as a destructive addiction. In the National Drug Survey, 6% of Australians have used it. The drug gives immense euphoria, a high that people become addicted to. 
But for this high, it has its destructive side effects. Violence, psychosis. It increases your heart rate, your blood pressure, so much so it causes strokes. It causes heart attacks. It tears down your vascular system. But because these individuals are so addicted to the high, they chase it at the expense of their jobs, at the expense of family, social relationships, and will sell their assets for this addiction. In Australia, we see domestic violence as a result, unemployment, prostitution, drug dealing, imprisonment, and death. In August, I was at the bedside of an addict in intensive care in Dandenong Hospital. His body organs had failed. All his organs had failed. He had been admitted, actually, many times before, each time discharged, each time gone back to ice. This time was his last. His mother was on the bedside, weeping, as we turned off the breathing machine. You see, his addiction was the cause his body, has caused his body to go on to a point beyond no return. Ice is addictive, and we see that in society. It can destroy our lives and the lives of others, but so can wealth in James here. Doctors warn the addicts just as James warns us today here. If we become consumed or addicted with acquiring wealth, we lose ourselves. Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see, in every profession that we, are, we have here today, we all know of many ways that people can scheme or cheat the system, such that we can be paid more, perhaps by doing less, paid more, perhaps not having even the profession, professional qualifications for, such, for this. My father and I worked in the same medical profession. He was a Christian man who loved Jesus. I remember he would advise me, son, don't scheme, or even be tempted to scheme, because you don't need it. Don't chase it. You're a Christian, and God will look after you. These words have been, I've kept in my heart. In the same way here, James is saying, God is warning us, don't chase it. It's dangerous. Don't even get started, as it will become a vicious and destructive cycle. The second thing that we can learn here is that God judges our attitude to wealth. God cared, He knew, and He judged the rich in James about their attitudes to wealth. And if it's the same God who judged the rich in James, we can be sure that He cares, He knows, and He judges us on what we do with our wealth and our attitudes to wealth today. 
The passage is clear, isn't it? God knew the actions of the rich oppressors and promised that justice will come. You see, you do the crime, you'll do the time. They became miserable. They were weeping and wailing. In the same way, He knows our attitude today, how we acquire wealth and what we do with our wealth. You see, the message in James is consistent in other parts of the Bible as well. We have Luke 12, 13 to 21, the parable of the rich fool. Jesus taught that the judgment which will come for those who indulge in wealth. In this parable, a rich man had an abundant harvest and made a barn, a barn to store his crops. He thought to himself, now I have plenty of grain for many years, I can just take life easy, I can eat, I can drink, I can be merry. But that very night, his life was demanded from him. You see, this chap's wealth was for his own purpose, and he was punished for his ignorance and his indulgence. Verse 31, This is how it will be for the person who stores things for themselves but is not rich to God. You think to yourself, but why does God judge so harshly when we indulge in wealth? Is not wealth that we have earned? Is not wealth that is ours now? What then delights our God? Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Let's have a think about this. One man was given five talents, another two talents, another one talent, just as God gives us wealth. The man who invested his five talents and doubled it was praised. The person who has not invested his one talent was punished. God teaches us the importance of investing the talents that He has given us back into His kingdom. Wealth is a gift from God, which is to be used for His service. God expects us to be generous, not self-indulgent. He's delighted when we are generous and not self-indulgent. That we use our wealth not for ourselves, yet delighted when we invest in His kingdom. Are we chasing Are we hoarding wealth? Or are we generous to God with our wealth? Consider for a brief moment what we do with our fortnightly pay. Do we think, look, this is my hard-earned wealth. It's for me to decide how best to spend it. Or do we say, you've given me this wealth, God. How can I best invest it into your kingdom? How do you think God will view your attitude to wealth? Will He say, well done, good and faithful servant? For you have been faithful over little, and I will set you over much. The third thing we see here is that the passage emphasizes that the wealth has no eternal value. It does not last. It 
emphasizes the folly of chasing wealth then, if it were not to last. Not only will clothes be destroyed, even gold and silver, these things don't last even when we try very hard, these very hard to accumulate it and guard it. These things don't last even when we have a lot of it. Over time, these things will eventually lose its value. And if it were not to last for the rich in the past, it will not last for us either today. In life, we're reminded every day about this, aren't we? How long does our computer laptop last for? How long does our iPhone last for? Two years? I've got a phone five years now, iPhone. It's sitting in my daughter's bed as a play phone. How long does our coat, how long does our dress last for? Could it last for 20 years? 30 years? 50 years? As you drive down a street, how many houses on that street would have lasted for 30, 50, 70 or 100 years? In my street, whenever a plot of land is actually being bought, the old house is destroyed and a new one is built. God warns us today, wealth is transient. Wealth does not last. It is not as valuable as you actually really think. The passage here is saying, learn, learn from these rich oppressors. We may have acquired a lot of it, a lot of wealth. Yes, it might allow us to live it up in this world, but in the end, God says our wealth has no everlasting value or meaning. So don't be like these rich oppressors in James. Take caution. If it doesn't last, why chase it? How foolish it must be in the eyes of our Lord that we can spend so much time worrying about wealth and our possessions. Matthew 6, 19 to 21. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are treasures in heaven? These are eternal rewards or treasures when we live for God. These are the ones that we keep forever. When we live for God and the good of others rather than for our own good. When we love our enemies. When we pray in secret. When we serve the Lord and His people when we give to the needy and those who cannot repay us. But what does God see as His treasure? It is His only Son, Jesus. And you know what He did with this most prized treasure? He gave it to us 
He has not spared His most prized treasure for us by bleeding Him on the cross for us, such that we can spend eternity with Him. God asks us today to cherish Jesus, to revere and to love Him. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Wealth is transient, it loses value. Jesus is eternal. And when we invest in Jesus, He will forever remember us. It's us for us to keep. So, what is our attitude to wealth? Do we love and chase wealth? Or do we see it as a gift from God for His purpose? What do we do with our wealth? Do we use it to build our kingdom? Or do we use it to build God's kingdom? Are we storing treasures on earth? Or are we storing treasures in heaven? May we heed caution from the attitude of the rich oppressors. May we recognize the danger when our hearts are set on worldly wealth. Let us remember it is the Lord who gives us wealth. And may we use it for His glory. <clears throat>